Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. 2020 continues to be a record year for special purpose acquisition companies with SPAC IPOs grabbing more headlines than seemingly ever before. Molly Fool contributor Luis Sanchez returns to the podcast this week to take another look at the SPAC craze. Luis, thanks for joining me as always. Thank you, Nick. I hope you're having a spectacular day. Uh, I, I am now. That pun, that pun really, uh, really just brought my day to the next level. So I, I'm, I'm really excited uh, uh, to get into this topic with you here today, uh, Luis. As I mentioned, we did a podcast uh, back on uh, July 8th called "What Are Spacs and Why Are They So Hot Right Now." I'm going to toss a link in the notes for this podcast uh, back to that previous episode. Maybe go a little deep into deeper into Spacs on the podcast today. If that first podcast was Spacs 101. We're going to jump into SPACs 102 here today, but but high level, just to remind folks, Luis, what is a SPAC? Sure. So SPAC stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Company. What it is at a basic level, it, it's just an alternative way for a company to go public. So a SPAC is a shell company, has no formal business. It raises money through a normal IPO and once it once it's IPO'd, it's essentially a pile of cash. It's it's publicly traded. Anyone can invest in it. And the goal is to use that pile of cash to acquire a private company. And in the process of acquiring a private company, the company they acquired becomes public. And then it just becomes a normal stock. And why are people doing this? Um, it's it's an efficient way for companies to go public. It can happen really quickly. They can get certainty of their IPO price, and for from the investor standpoint, uh, it's an opportunity to invest in, a, in an exciting new public company. You know, some of these companies are fast growing; they're like late stage VC. They're like traditional IPOs, and there's not a lot of, or there haven't been as many IPOs lately. So a lot of people are finding these really interesting. Right. You talk about how, how there's been uh, fewer traditional IPOs lately. People have, have complained about that in the past. Well, when it comes to SPAC IPOs, uh, there's no complaining about a, a lack of those. So I, I, looking back at my notes uh, from our July podcast, I wrote, so far this year, we've seen 38 SPACs that have IPO'd, raising more than $12 billion. That compares to $13 billion raised in all of 2019 uh, from SPACs. That was back in July. Luis, when we look at those SPAC numbers today, what are we looking at in terms of just number of SPACs out there and dollars raised? It's it's a it's a boom. So we thought that there were a lot of, you know, you're talking about $13 billion year to date raised, you know, the first half of 2020. In the last three months, um, that number is up to uh, $49 billion and over 100 SPACs. So it's, you know, more than three, three or four X in the last three months, right? It's 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 a it's a really hot market right now. Everyone, it seems like everyone and their mom is uh, creating a spac. <laughs> well, literally, I mean, some of the celebrities that you see uh, sponsoring spacs. Maybe we'll talk later. You know, Mitt Romney's son, uh, former Speaker of the House, uh, Paul Ryan. Anybody who can who can put slap their name on a spac uh, uh, seems to be doing that this year. That that raises a question. Uh, for me, Luis, there's got to be more competition for these SPAC deals now than ever, just with so many different companies out looking for private companies to acquire. Yeah, sure. So 
Uh, that's absolutely true. I mean, you know, there's more than a hundred companies looking to acquire a private company. So you got to think that if you're on the other side of the table, if you're the seller, you could actually start putting SPACs against each other. Like you can field offers from multiple SPACs, or you could also field offers from a traditional IPO or from uh, a strategic acquirer. So I think that uh, it's it's probably a really good position to be in if you're one of those hot companies. And there's almost no excuse at this point of, of why why you can't go public, because I, I can assure you that uh, you can get a good valuation in this market. Right. I mean, just to use another analogy, you know, you know, if you're if you have if you have a hot IPO, a company people are excited to invest in, you're always have a little flash. But but right now, I mean, th- these are definitely the, the prettiest girl in school uh, uh, for sure when it comes to just so many people uh, looking for private companies to bring public. And, and within that, that brings to I want to talk about investing in SPACs, different ways you can go about doing that. You mentioned uh, a SPAC comes public. At first, it's a bucket of money. Uh, and then once it acquires a company, once there's a deal, it's maybe more like um, a, a traditional company. So, so when it comes to the strategies uh, uh, for investing in SPACs, what factors do you consider when choosing to invest pre-IPO uh, versus, uh, excuse me, pre-a deal, be- deal being announced or post-a deal being announced for a SPAC? Yeah, so there's probably the biggest distinction uh, when it comes to investing in SPACs as like an investment strategy is do you invest pre-deal? And by pre-deal, I mean before when it's just a pile of cash and the team hasn't announced what they intend to buy, or do you buy into the SPAC post-deal? So that could mean they've announced a deal, but they haven't had a shareholder vote, so it hasn't full, it hasn't completed yet. Or it could or it could just mean once the deal has completed and it's, and it's a normal stock. And I think the, the big trade-off here is really just certainty versus uncertainty. So if you really like a deal team, if you think that the guys who are running the SPAC have a good track record of making good investments or have a have just an interesting way to source a good potential um, acquisition candidate, then that makes investing pre-deal a little bit more compelling. The the the, the flip side of that, you know, you, you're still dealing with uncertainty though, because you don't know what the deal is. So for people who um, want more certainty, investing post-deal could can be interesting, but what what you what you tend to find is you know you get rewarded for uncertainty so if you invest earlier you you can uh you you can um buy in at a better price often and i think that other than investing pre-deal and post-deal the other big distinction that i would make is do you pay do you pay a premium or do you pay a discount and what do i mean by that is do you pay a premium or a discount to the value of the cash that's being held by the SPAC, right? So if a SPAC is raised, let's say $200 million, just to give an example, um, and it trades and, and the current market capitalization of that SPAC is $190 million, well, technically it's trading for less than the value of its cash. And that opportunity exists. Actually, there's, there's dozens of SPACs out there that are trading for less than the value of their cash. Um, and, but the flip side also exists. There's some SPACs out there that are trading for more than the value of their cash. And what you tend to find is that the teams that, um, that people have a lot of trust in to deliver a really good deal, those tend to trade at a premium. 
And in the teams that the, the deal teams who are running the SPACs, the teams that people maybe just aren't that familiar with or don't have as good of a track record, people want to put more of a discount on that. And I think there's a real trade-off. And I don't think that there's really one way to go when it comes to investing in, in a SPAC. There's multiple ways to, to be successful at it. But it's just worth noting, you know, those distinctions. Right. I mean, and sometimes you can see, uh, I believe it was the um, the Chamath uh, SPAC that was announced earlier this week actually traded down uh, after the deal was announced because of that premium that was baked into the price. Is that is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So that's a great example, right? So Chamath Palahapatiya, he, he has uh, successfully raised several SPACs already. His first SPAC that he did last year, which I think we talked about on a podcast, was Virgin Galactic. That was, you know, that's up. Uh, pretty pretty significantly from the time it IPO'd. Then he just raised another one a few weeks ago for Open Door. That one's trading really well. So he had this third SPAC. It was the ticker's IPOC. And people could see that the first two SPACs did really well. So people were willing to pay a premium for the SPAC. They, I think it was trading at like $12 or $13 before the deal was announced. But then he announced a deal it was for um, an insurance company, a health insurance company. And frankly, a lot of people just didn't want to own a health insurance company given um, the nature of the business and the political climate. So people were disappointed by the deal and the stock actually fell when, when he announced it. So that's, you know, that's, that's the downside of the uncertainty. And that's the downside of, you know, the uncertainty got you because you didn't know what you're going to buy. If you knew it was going to be a health insurance company, maybe you wouldn't have bought it. And then you paid premium, so you didn't really have that margin of safety if if you didn't like the deal. Right. So that's one thing to consider is valuation, just like any other company, uh, factors in uh, pre-a-deal is announced. Obviously, post-a-deal is announced, uh, things are going to be valued based on whatever the company is that's acquired, which is reflected in how the market reset uh, post that deal being announced uh, for the Clover Health uh, acquisition that came out this week. Right. It's probably It's probably worth mentioning as to why the cash matters. Because before a deal is, uh, is is closed, if you don't like the deal, you can actually request your your cash back. Right, so that's a, that's a nice little option uh, <laughs> to, to to get things back. And, and and you know, as we said earlier, with with the amount of of SPACs being out there, uh, and and the, this the total number of private companies being competed over, it's quite possible uh, that a number of these will end up having to to return their cash uh, at some point in time. And that's a two year window they have to to acquire a company. Is that correct? It varies. It's, it's, it's interesting. So it used to actually be uh, an 18-month window was the standard. And now the standard is a 24-month window. So now it's two, two years. But even more interesting is the fact, despite the fact the window that a, comp- that a SPAC is giving itself to find a deal has lengthened, um, the, if you look at the data, the average SPAC is actually finding deals quicker. <laughs> so, interesting. Yeah. So now you're seeing some SPACs that... They launch a deal in March and they close a deal in May. And some some SPACs go, some SPACs take their time. They find it takes uh, a year, two years. They take the full time. I think you know just to go back to Chamath, right? This IPOC literally launched. You know, it wasn't that long ago. It's definitely uh, within the last few months. But because he had worked on IPO A and B. You got to think that he was already thinking about, and he probably already had sourced a lot of potential candidates for future SPACs. So you tend to see that if there's like a serial SPAC founder, 
and and I can assure you, you know, uh, Chamath has already done three SPACs. He's he's gonna he's he's announced that he's gonna do a lot more. He's probably already has he's probably already fielding offers for IPOD, IPOE, IPOF. Um, so he's probably already ahead of the game. So who knows? Like IPOD, it could IPO next month, and he might find a deal before the end of the year. It's 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 an interesting dynamic. Right, that, that track record is something is something significant to discuss. Well, because we're moving into that and discussing some folks who've had success uh, uh, with SPACs in the past, I, I want to move on uh, to Bill Ackman's SPAC. We've got a couple listener questions about that uh, that particular SPAC, and that's one I'd like to dive into a little bit. And so for, for folks at, at home, that's Pershing Square, Tontine Holdings. The ticker symbol is PSTH. Uh, for, first, just high-level what can you tell us about this SPAC and, and Bill Ackman's track record with SPACs historically? Yeah, absolutely. And just full disclosure, I like this SPAC. I, I own the, I, I'm long the SPAC. I think that it's it's really interesting. First, I would say that a lot of people respect Bill Ackman as an investor. He's managed his hedge fund with a really good track record for a long time. And uh, so it's, 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 the first thing you could say about Bill Ackman is that he's a good investor. He's going to look for something interesting, and he has a really interesting framework for evaluating deals. The second thing is that the SPAC itself has some interesting characteristics that make it unique, which is another really interesting thing if you're investing in SPACs as you try to think about what makes a SPAC different? Why is a SPAC going to stand out and find a good deal? So the first thing is that he just launched the largest SPAC ever. It IPO'd with a $4 billion war chest and he's backing it with a commitment of up to three billion dollars of additional funding from his hedge fund and that's like if you want to put that i think the next biggest spac is maybe two billion and the average spac that's launched is like 300 million so he's an order of magnitude bigger than other spacs so you want to talk about spacs competing for the same deals he's not competing with other spacs for deals he's competing you know he's in his own league which makes it really interesting the second thing is that he has a really shareholder-friendly structure. So one of the, the dark sides of SPACs that definitely gets discussed, and it's a, it's a criticism of the structure, is that the SPAC management team is compensated, and they typically are con- uh, uh, compensated by taking somewhere between tw- uh, 15 to 20% of the uh, shares. And Ackman has actually eliminated that compensation structure so he's doing he's doing it he's his spac is it's is just a better deal than the average spac and there's also some other nuances he has a warrant structure which which is interesting it's it aligns the the unit holders for the long term and beyond that you know then let's talk about track record this isn't his first spac he did a spac Back in 2012, which was used to acquire uh, Burger King, that company eventually merged with Tim Hortons. It's now traded as restaurant brands. When he did that deal with Burger King in 2012, the uh, valuation was about $4.8 billion. Today, restaurant brands is an $18 billion company. So that was a great deal. That was a great investment. One of the greatest SPAC investments of all time, for sure. Um so there's a lot of great things going for this company. 
Right. So it's more than just, I mean, you see a lot of these folks and, they, and they've got some some name that you're familiar with at the top. But he, you're saying based on his track record uh, and, and, and the way this thing is structured, it's more than just, uh, you know, a figurehead uh, at, the, at the top of this. There's really a lot of things to like in the structure um, of the way this is put together. He was doing SPACs before SPACs were cool. Yeah, I, you could say that. <laughs> um yeah, so so when we talk about sourcing SPACs, I know that's a, a, an important thing I, I think about. Chamath obviously has, has been able to to source folks, uh, source deals in a, in a way that I, I think is really impressive relative to a lot of folks out there. There's been some rumors that, that Bill Ackman reached out to Airbnb um, and was pushed away. Maybe he was talking to Stripe. What, what companies do you, do you think might be on his list of businesses to go out and go buy? Yeah, so the way that... Bill Ackman has described this as he's he's hunting for what he refers to as a mature unicorn. So he's really looking for one of these companies where the alternative would be to go through an IPO and it would be one of these like Airbnb type IPOs where everyone get excited. So yeah, there, there's rumors that he's spoken to Airbnb. There's apparently Airbnb has rejected him and they want to go through a traditional IPO. There's rumors that he's engaged with Stripe, which is a very large private payments company that competes with like MasterCard and Visa, that that would be really interesting. But, you know, the crazy thing about this is because he has so much money and he only really wants to take a minority stake somewhere between like 20 to 30% of the company that, that he merges with the SPAC, you have to, you have to think really big, right? Because he has four to call it $8 billion raised you know, so he's he's looking for something that's like 20, 30, potentially 40 billion dollars of uh, valuation. So there's only there's there's a short list of companies that are privately valued that are 20 billion dollars plus. Right. And then you sa- you have to start thinking about companies like SpaceX or, you know, a company like Robinhood or a company like Coinbase. And these are really hot companies. Right. Where. You can um, you can really start to understand why people would get excited about investing in these companies and why people might be willing to pay a premium. And then you even look at a company like Reddit, which that would be a really cool IPO. But Reddit's last valuation was was somewhere around five billion, so that's actually probably even too small for for Ackman SPAC. So you can really get excited about what what he could potentially buy, and hopefully he'll live up to the hype. Yeah, no. As as you mentioned, he's kind of in a class of his own. You know, Ackman, well known for being a, a longtime attendee of, of the Warren Buffett meeting, he's probably competing with Warren Buffett's elephant gun out here uh, uh, for some of these deals. The company that comes to mind for me that I, I would love to have a chance to invest in that's private, that's not on the hot list for everybody, is Bloomberg. I mean, that that company is a is a monster, right? You talk to anybody in finance, you have to spend, gosh, who knows how much every year on your on your Bloomberg terminal and that company is, is still private. It seems like it would be it would be perfect for him. I don't know if that's ever anything they want to do. Uh, but that one would get me really, really excited. Um, we've, we've talked about uh, Chamath. We've talked about Ackman. As we move away from folks who are, who are maybe, you know, getting getting time on CNBC, uh, you know, on, on, a, on a regular basis, what are some other companies uh, that are pre-deal SPACs that, that you find interesting today? Absolutely. So as I mentioned, when I'm looking at a SPAC, I'm looking for really a management team or a stated investment strategy, which I think is is really compelling, something that stands out. And you hinted at this earlier, but this is another SPAC that I own. It's um, Enterprise Network Partnering Corp. 
the ticker is enpc.u. Uh, I believe it's still trading as a, as a unit. I'm not sure if the shares are trading yet, but this is essentially a politically connected spec. So the co-founder is the uh, former Republican congressman and vice presidential candidate, Paul Ryan. His other co-founder um, has is his name is Alex Dunn. He's worked on other successful SPACs, including one that launched earlier this year called Vivint Smart Home. And then the the financial sponsor behind this SPAC is is a Solar Mirror Capital, which is run by Tag Romney, Mitt Romney's son. So you can already you know there's already multiple political figures here. And what I start to think about is any company that's contracting or selling to government this there's there's a there's a differentiation here where if you have Paul Ryan and you know the Romney family in your camp i think that's going to help you if you're selling to government right and you know the cherry on top with this one too is it trades at a discount so you could actually get this at cash value or even slightly below cash value for a spac that in my opinion is clearly very interesting and differentiated Right. You talk about, you know, at the end of the day, this is a bucket of money. What are the people that are holding this bucket of money going to be able to go do particularly special uh, with that? And you can tell a story about uh, clearly these people are very well connected and, uh, you know, uh, have a lot of uh, friends in high places. You mentioned uh, this distinction between the units um, and the shares, Luis. That, that is something you know, I wanted to mention earlier or, or pull the thread on earlier. When folks go look at SPACs, you'll often see two or three different ticker symbols for, for, for the same underlying business. Can you break out, when we talk about these units versus shares versus sometimes warrants, what is the distinction between those? Yeah, so this this gets a little bit technical, but when a SPAC IPOs, it typically IPOs with units. And units are a combination of one share of the, of the stock, so it's like a normal share, plus a partial warrant. Now... What is a warrant? A warrant is essentially like a call option. It's it's a long dated call option. It usually has a five year duration. So it's it's levered upside, right? So if you buy a unit, you get a share plus this derivative. You could also just buy the shares, um, or you could also just buy the warrants. It you know there's multiple ways to invest in this, and what I would say is that. The, be careful with the warrants because they're derivatives. They're just like investing in a call option, and they can go to zero if if um, if the stock doesn't hit the strike strike price. So, and usually that's like ten or fifteen percent above the IPO price. So fast forward five years, if the SPAC performs really well, you know you're gonna you're gonna make a lot of money if you own the warrants. If the SPAC doesn't perform well, you're gonna go to zero. If you own the shares. You know, you, you're not going to go to zero. You're, you're going to retain whatever the residual value of the business is. If you own the units, you know, you have the shares and you have like a little bit of a kicker, this upside. And then the way to know what's what is the units have a U at the end of the ticker, right? So we, we just mentioned ENPC, the enterprise or... Um, Executive Network Partnering Corp. That's it. Yeah, it's ENPC.U. That's, so that's the, the unit. If you just wanted to buy the share, it would just be ENPC. And if you just wanted to buy the warrant, this the, the warrants are going to show up differently on different financial terminals, but you'll probably see a W at the end or a WS or something like that. 
Right, and so it's so it's just kind of different. Uh, the the warrants are going to be the most risky, the most the most option like. The shares are going to be the most the most like owning a normal company, and then the unit's kind of halfway in between. Is that is that the best way to understand that? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so uh, we, we mentioned um, we mentioned Executive Network Partnering Corp uh, as one pre deal spec you find interesting. Uh, you also have Go Acquisition Corp on your list as another one uh, to look at. What can you tell us about that spec? Yeah, so Go Acquisition is is another one that I like and I own. This is a SPAC that is seeking to acquire a company in the travel industry. And my view on this is it's probably a good time to buy something in the travel industry. There's probably a lot of distressed companies that'll sell at a good valuation. So I like the I like the thesis. And then the guys who are running it, one of the guys, his name is Greg O'Hara. He's on the board of TripAdvisor. He's also um, heavily involved with... Uh, John Malone's companies. He's on the board of Liberty Trip Advisor. He's involved. He's on the board of American Express Global Business Travel. He's also on the board of the World Travel and Tourism Council. So this sounds like a guy who can probably who knows the travel space really well. He can probably find a really interesting company within the travel space. So I think I think the thesis makes sense. I think the guy running it makes sense. Um, the other the other co-founder. Has, has been involved with other successful SPACs. So he has a little bit of the team has some SPAC experience too. And then again, this trades at a discount. It trades at just a discount to cash. And it seems like, you know, this this is the kind of thing where I wouldn't be surprised if they just announced a really interesting deal at a good valuation and people got excited about it down the road. And it's kind of running under the radar because there's just so many SPACs that it's, it's just really hard it's like finding a needle in a haystack. You know, which ones are the interesting ones? Which ones are kind of the run-of-the-mill SPACs? Right. So again, another one that has a, a, you know, you can tell a story about why this management team has a particular access to deals that other folks won't have, and you're getting it at a discount to cash. So, uh, you know, that's a good one to add to your watch list. Okay. So we talked about those two as far as pre-deal SPACs. We also had a, another couple companies that are post-deal SPACs that have already announced a deal uh, that could be interesting to take a look at. One of which we mentioned earlier, that's Open Door. That's another Chamath SPAC acquired with his IPOB vehicle. Why does Open Door look interesting to you, Luis? Sure. So, you know, the pre-deal SPAC, you don't know what they're going to buy. The post-deal SPAC, you know that, you know what it is. So IPOB, Chamath, Chamath's uh, second SPAC, announced recently, I, I believe it was last month, that they're going to merge with Opendoor. Opendoor is a real estate technology company. They are in the iBuying market. So they're using technology, a, a technology platform to identify and bid for houses. And they're flipping houses. That's, that's what they're doing. But it's, it's, it's really interesting for, for a number of reasons. This is for, you know, for if you're familiar with the iBuying process or if you've ever sold a home, you know that iBuying is is like a much it's it's a very convenient thing to do. If you're selling a home, you can just sell it immediately. It's 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 something that's actually taken a lot of volume share from the housing market in the last year or so. So there's there's a lot of growth. It's a huge market, a huge total addressable market. It's run by some really interesting guys who who have had some success with other companies that they've successfully run. And, you know, basically this this open door company is competing against Zillow and iBuying, but they're doing it more profitably than Zillow and they're doing it at greater scale. So 
if you like what Zillow is doing with with buying, you know, theoretically, you should probably like what Open Door is doing. It, it's just a really interesting and growing industry. And, you know, I think Chamath has just a really good eye for, you know, some of these more interesting tech focused companies. And I think this is just a great example. Right. I mean, because this is this is the pure play iBuying company, the companies that come to mind for me when you talk about iBuying that are public is, is Zillow and Redfin. But obviously, those are tacked on um, to, to other businesses. I, I think iBuying I, I is interesting. You look at the, the U.S. real estate market. This is a multi-trillion dollar market. So if someone can solve that problem, clearly a lot of value. And and there's lots of other uh, ancillary services to sell, like mortgage and, and things like that. So it's so cl- plenty of potential there. Obviously, uh, execution um, is a question that everybody raises uh, for this industry. I'll probably be watching Open Door uh, with a close eye for a few quarters to see uh, what data they're putting out there. But I'm excited to have a company that gives me a, a more direct look at iBuying versus being inside some of these other businesses. Yeah, Nick, it's one of these things. I think we were joking the other day where uh, on paper, this business model sounds crazy, right? Um, you're you're going to use technology to to spend billions of dollars buying houses and then flipping them. It, it's, it sounds crazy, but it's so crazy it might actually work because they, they seem to be doing it successfully. Right. It's one of those where, where if you asked 100 people, 50 of them will say it's crazy and 50 of them will say it's crazy like a fox. So we'll just have to see. That's the fun part about investing is everybody gets to, to, to uh, see how things play out. Um, so Open Door, very interesting company, one to, one to pay attention to um, for sure. You also have uh, FEAC. What, what is this SPAC and the company that it is acquiring? Yeah, FEAC. They uh, this is another post deal SPAC. They announced a deal to acquire a company called Skills, which is a mobile gaming e- esports platform. And the first thing that caught my eye with this, and the reason it's on my radar, is because this is the same team that used a SPAC to take DraftKings public, and DraftKings has like six, five or six x since it SPAC IPO'd making it the most successful SPAC IPO of the last year or two. So, you know, I I see that. I think this team has that great track record with a post-deal SPAC. I think, so I'm really, I I, I look at it and I wonder, okay, what can they do with this? And you look, and I was reading into the business and it's, it's another one of these companies where it's, it's a technology platform serving a very large and growing market. It's serving mobile gaming, which is actually the largest and the fastest growing uh, slice of the gaming market. And they're growing really fast. They're growing. They, they're reported to be growing this year 88% on a 200 million plus revenue base. And they're basically selling, it's like a B2B software where they're selling their gaming platform to game developers and, you know, potentially they're creating like a ne- another network effect business. And, you know, a lot of things about this strike me as interesting. Right. I mean, the, the, again, this this gaming theme, esports, et cetera, obviously getting a tailwind um, um, from, uh, you know, the pandemic and lockdowns. Then you've got a company, again, that has, has a strong track record um, with DraftKings. So another one um, to add to your watch list, kind of wrapping things up, Luis, a lot of excitement in SPACs. A lot of people want to go uh, invest in this space today. We talked about some important things to look for. Obviously, check out uh, the sponsors of the SPAC, understand how they're going to source a deal. And then obviously, once a deal is announced, you're evaluating it um, just like any other company. For, for folks that are starting to invest in SPACs, wanting to, to, to learn this space, what advice do you have for them? And what are some big mistakes you see for folks that are starting in this space? 
Yeah. The the first thing I would say is when you're investing in a SPAC before a deal is closed, it's not the same thing as investing in a stock. And I think if you've made it this far on the podcast, you've you probably you've heard all these nuances. There's weird warrants and units, and you can ask for your money back. It's not the same thing. So you know, read, understand the differences between a SPAC and a stock. Understand what you own, and just kind of understand that before 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 the company has converted into whatever company it acquires, it's something different. Now, on the flip side, once the company has converted into the company it acquired, once the SPAC IPO process is complete, then it's like a normal stock. Then think of it, think of it like you would any other stock. Would you have invested in it if it was not a SPAC? Right. I think that's probably the best way to 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 think about it. And as, as far as like what I've seen people make mistakes on is sometimes when a really hot deal is announced like uh, IPO, B, Chamath SPAC buying Open Door, or one of these other ones, you'll, you'll see like a really big pop, almost like an IPO pop, like on the day that it's announced. And, you know, that's not always the best time to buy into it. So <laughs> if, if, uh, if you're early, if you buy the SPAC before there's a deal announced, you can usually get a better price. If you're going to buy post-deal, just be really careful. Know what you're paying. Know the valuation. I think what I've seen some people get burned on is they get really excited because a SPAC just announced a really interesting deal. They they load up on it after the pop, or they even you know take on leverage by buying warrants, which are just much riskier than buying the actual shares. And that's where people can uh, really can really get burned if you um, buy buy it at the wrong time, use leverage, do, do you know take on too much risk, and you don't actually know what you own or you're just not as uh, convicted in it. Yeah, Luis, maybe one last question as well. You, you see this exciting new space. Uh, a lot of folks uh, probably think about, okay, maybe I can go invest in this in this space with an ETF. Uh, just in this past week or so, there's been an announcement that, that a new SPAC ETF is going to come out. Do you have an opinion on whether that is a, a prudent way to invest in SPACs? You know, if I'd say, I, I, ha- I don't actually know exactly what the ETF strategy is going to be. Um, I think that it's one of these things where we'll we'll have to wait and see. I think that if you're looking at these SPACs on an individual basis, you'll tend to notice that there's a lot of differentiation between the SPAC structures and between the quality of the management teams. So do I think that you can, do I think it's a better idea to try and pick out which management teams look more interesting or which SPACs have better structures? Yeah, I think that's a really I think that's a good way to do it. If you don't have time to go through and like analyze the hundreds of SPACs that are available and you just want exposure, maybe maybe the ETF's a good way to do it. Um I'm I'm not sure. It it's basically you're you're adding another if you think about these SPACs as they're kind of financial securities, they're they're kind of weird and they have a lot of weird embedded things in them. What what is an ETF doing? It, it's kind of just adding another layer of uh, financial compli- compli- complexity to it, right? So, I think there's a I think there is an advantage to it if you just want to bet on the whole category. Sure, like why not? I think that um, what I would say versus like other ETFs is, in my opinion, SPACs are are actually a much more inefficient market than the S and P five hundred. 
just because of all the nuances we just made. And, and you know, because they're complicated, that lends itself probably better towards trying to pick out the winners from the losers. Yeah. So I would just say just you know, full disclosure on my opinion there. I, I think, yeah, the best way to, if you want to invest in this space is try to evaluate deals individually. We were, Luis and I were, were talking about when we were practicing the show, there's a lot of, it's like a garbage versus gold distinction um, in this industry. There can be a really great, great deals, but there can be some um, the, that aren't great. So I think this is one where if you want to look at and identify specific specific, specific companies that, that are interesting to you to invest in, I think that's a good way to go. If you just want to throw it in the too hard pile, I think that's a great way to go too. I, I don't know that I would be using an ETF strategy as, as a way to get exposure to SPACs just because it is such a mixed bag. But, uh, you know, this is the biggest year uh, for SPACs ever. We'll see uh, where it ends up uh, as of the end of the year. I'm sure we're going to see more companies come public via SPAC IPOs over the next year or so than we've seen in a really long time. And Luis, I'll be excited to have you on uh, as we have more companies to talk about. Yeah. I'm sure there'll be plenty of uh, new deals and interesting dynamics. I mean, look how look how much changed since the last time we spoke about this in July. It's like night and day. Yeah. Well, I'll be looking forward to it. Uh, as always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for mixing the show. For Luis Sanchez, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and full on. Mm-hmm.